This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. You've got to be careful about people's experiences. Because you can have any kind of experience, and sometimes it might be God, and sometimes it might be because you ate the wrong thing too late at night. You can't just judge somebody's experience or somebody's dream or somebody's vision or anything else like that. If it, if it bears witness to what the Bible already says, then you can accept the experience. But if it doesn't, throw it away. Now, what I mean by that is you can consider it, you can think on it, you can put it on a shelf, but don't let it guide you. I hear a lot of people talking about experiences that don't have anything to do with the Bible. When I first got around Brother Hagin, I started hearing him tell some stories about his own experience. I would hear things like that, and from my heart, I would accept them, and I'd say, wow, that's great, that, that's really something. But I'd never had anything like that, or at least I didn't recognize that it was anything like that. I didn't have any kind of experience like that. I didn't have anything that I could ever see. I didn't have anything I could put my finger on. And so I questioned some things. I mean, I, folks, and, and let me just say up, up front, I don't think it's wrong to ask, to ask questions. I know a lot of people take a position with the things of God that, well, you should never question God. I question God about everything. He doesn't seem to have a problem with that. I know a lot of Christians do, but he doesn't. Because if something's real and if something's true, God will show you. I think this, this wrong idea about this thing called blind faith. People just talk about, well, blind faith. You just have to believe it blindly. Folks, faith is never blind. Faith always sees the end result. Faith may not be able to see how I get from point A to point B, but it always sees point B. Point A is easy to figure out. So faith is never blind. The Bible always gives you the answer. It always gives you the end result that you should pray and believe toward. So this idea about blind faith, to me, that just, that just causes people to, to not know why they believe what they believe. God wants you to understand. He's intelligent. He can communicate with you. He expects you to be intelligent too. So I've always questioned everything. Well, there are some things like that where it comes to people's experience. I see it in the Bible and, okay, I accept it, but I've never seen it. I've never experienced anything like that. So what do we do about that? When I start, first started working with Brother Hagen, I, I began working... Uh, uh, Rhema's two-year school. And so between my first and second year of Rhema, I began to travel with Brother Hagen. Now, at that point in time, that we did uh, different meetings and crusades in different ways uh, during the time that I worked for him. But that summer, we were going to do a series of one- and two-night meetings up in New England. And Brother Hagen had not been to New England in, in uh, many years. His ministry was not real well established there other than people being familiar with his books or to whatever degree they were familiar with his books and his materials. So we didn't know what kind of crowds to expect or anything like that. So here we are. I'm brand new on the road. I'm, uh, my basic job is gopher and catcher. I'm the guy that has to make sure that all the materials are on the, on the truck. I'm the one that has to make sure that, that we have everything that we need for while the crusade goes on. And, uh, and then when the crusade starts, I'm the guy that they have as a catcher in the healing line. Now, some people have problems with catchers. Because you'll have some people, and bless their hearts, we hope someday they'll grow up and mature some. But you have some people that will say, well, if it was really God, you wouldn't need a catcher, and so why do you have them? Because there are some people that are not operating under the power of the Spirit, and they're going to fall, and they're going to sue you. That's why. If somebody is under the power of God, it wouldn't matter if you bounce them like a basketball. They're going to be okay. But for the ones that are not and trying to put on a show, they're your problem. And so my job is a catcher. And uh, that's why we have catchers around here. 
Why be stupid and let somebody sue you? So anyway, my job is a catcher. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the only one. I, I'm trying to recruit other people around the, uh, in these meetings to help and, and things like that. But uh, at that point in time, I was younger and I could handle things a lot better. And, uh, you know, I was just coming off of a real, uh, the height of my athletic career, whatever that turned out to be. And so I was, I was in a lot better shape. The biggest fear I had was that my pants would split as I was catching people. <laughs> and that did happen in, in one time. So, you know, everything was okay, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, but I'm nervous, I've never done this before, it's new, I'm a brand new rookie on the road, that type of thing, but I'm, I'm acting cool, I'm trying to act like I get everything under control, you know. And uh, so, first night, we're in uh, New Jersey, and it was a, um, well, I guess they called it a playhouse, it was a place that was set up not for church meetings, but it had a big stage, and I don't know, maybe it was an old opera house or something like that, and so there's a big high platform up here, and and uh, and the the, the uh, auditorium type seating, you know the I don't know what I'm trying to say theater seating. That's what it, that's what I'm looking for. So the theater seating was set up. So it was it was awful. It was terrible for for laying hands on the sick and ministering the sick because there's no there's no gap. There's no room between the front rows of the theater seats and the and the um, the platform. The only thing we've got is an orchestra pit that they raised up. It was, it was motorized, and so they raised up to make the platform bigger. But there's no room to lay hands on people. So we were having to, to get people that at the end of the service, the healing crusade. And so Brother Hagin told us a uh, vision about Jesus laying the, hands, laying the finger of his hands in uh, the palm of each and one of his hands and, and ministering with the anointing. So anybody that wants to have, healing, have hands laid on you to receive your healing, stand up. Well, the whole room stood up. And so we've got one aisle down the middle, and otherwise we've got two big, big, wide sections. And this, this place was old. It, forget current-day fire codes and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was, they had people packed in there like crazy. And so basically everybody, and I say everybody, at least two-thirds of the crowd, is making their way out from their, their seats to one side or the other. Well, there was too many people to even set up. And so we're, we're trying to get them to come up the platform, across the platform, Brother Hagin lay hands on them and send them down the other side of the platform. Well, it instantly became a nightmare. And so Brother Hagin could see this is not going to work. He's up on the platform. He's trying to get us uh, to, to go as fast as we can, and we're working on it. I've told the guys how we're going to handle things and tried to work things out logistically as well as we could, but there's just no way to make it happen. And so we're bringing people across the platform. Well, as soon as Brother Hagin lays hands on people, there was a real strong anointing that night. As soon as he lays hands on people, the people start falling everywhere. Well, what do you do? Roll them off the edge? <laughs> you know, we've got to make room for somebody else to be ministered to. How are you going to handle this? So it was, a tr- it was just a real logistical nightmare. And so Brother Hagin's getting frustrated because he knows the anointing's going to stay on him forever. So he's thinking, all right, I've got all these people now that have come that want to be ministered to, that want to have hands laid on them, and I can't get to them. What am I going to do? Finally, Brother Hagin looks at me, and he just shook his head and just started walking off the platform. Well, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means I'm fired. I, I, you know, he's got to go to the bathroom. I don't know what that means. He's just walking off the platform. So as he starts walking off the platform, I start going with him, and I start going down the thing. And then Brother Hagin leaned over to me, and he said, I'm just going to have to lay hands on him against the wall. He said, line everybody up against the wall as quick as he can. So I told everybody, pass the word on, so we're, we're now putting people against the wall. Well, all right, this is going to work, because now Brother Hagin's the only one that has to move all around the room. This is great. The problem was, we worked one side of the room. He got about halfway down, and then came back, said, all right, now set him up over there. Started coming back to the other side. When he got to this side over here, oh, my goodness. There were pillars in this old opera house or whatever it was, and Brother Hagin gets 
to where, um, well, how do I explain this? He comes down off the thing. He lays hands on somebody. I don't know how to explain this. It's like there's a pillar here, and, I, and I'm standing here, and I'm kind of letting him down on there, and now I've got to get around this pillar to where the other people are on the other side. Everybody understand what I'm trying to say? As I come around the pillar, Brother Hagin reaches up and touches my head. Now, folks, up until that point in time, I'm wondering, is this power of God stuff real? From that moment forward, I've got no questions. After it was done, I come to myself and realize Brother Hagin is on the other end of the pl- other end of the building, laying hands on people all along the way. Afterwards, he and he finished laying hands on people at that at that point, and then he slipped off over to the side room or whatever. We closed the service and dismissed everybody, and and it was just going to be there that one night. And so I go back into the back room. I'm still dizzy. I'm dazed. It wasn't like I passed out. It wasn't, I've, I've had concussions before. It wasn't anything like that. But it's like, I, I don't know where I am and don't really care. <laughs> and so Brother Hagin asked me, he said, where would you go? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't know. <laughs> but I liked it. That was my first experience with the glory of God or with the power of God. Now, now for me, those terms are interchangeable. Now, after that experience, I told Brother Hagin he got a big kick out of it and, and, and that type of thing. But then I had to be honest with him. I said, Dad, I said, I really think God did that on purpose. He said, why, Mike? He said, because I was wondering. I've never fallen under the power of God. I've never experienced the power of God like that. I, I said, I just didn't know. I didn't really know if people were putting on something or not. I just didn't know. And he smiled, laughed a little bit about it. And he said, well, do you know now? I said, yeah. And then so I started picking up stuff and started going around to do something else that I was you know, supposed to do. And then Dad asked me something after that. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about your dad in the hospital? Huh? He didn't say another word. I just looked at him and instantly I knew what he was talking about. Instantly I knew what he was talking about. Now, what he did was he was moved by the Holy Ghost to tell something that he didn't know. I'd never told him, never told anybody about this. But he was moved by the Holy Ghost to say something to me that would spur my understanding that here's what it's like when the presence of God comes in. When my dad was, um, uh, my dad died at 47 years of age. God had healed my dad once before of cancer. The doctors went in and took this thing out, but where they said it had, had eaten away his kidneys, it, it turned out to be that it encapsulated his kidneys instead, and it just peeled off like you'd peel off a, an orange peel. And, uh, and, and my dad knew that was God, but he was one of those guys that, that fell into the category where, like Jesus told the one man, he said, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come on you. My dad just wouldn't live right. He just wouldn't. He knew some things. Could have, should have done some things, but he just wouldn't live right. Well, he contracted lung cancer, and he had smoked all of his life from the time he was 12 years old. My dad was about 6'4 at 12 years old, and so everybody mistook him for an adult. And so he, he started doing a lot of things as just a young kid that never should have done, and, but got away with it. So he had smoked uh, packs and packs of cigarettes all of his life. I never knew my dad not to smoke. And uh, so anyway, when lung cancer got him, then... Um, then they started, the doctor started trying to do some certain things. I didn't know until the, the time that he uh, got cancer, but you, apparently you've got three lobes or three sections to each one of your lungs. Well, they can only take 
two sections of one lung and one section of another lung, and after that you don't have enough lungs to live. Well, they did that. They wound up taking as much as they could off of my dad, and, and, uh, and, and so he started to suffer for, for a while. He was, um, he was struggling and trying to get his faith to, to reach out to God and stuff, but he just, didn't, just never had any confidence because he knew what God had done the first time and how he had responded. And so uh, um, time came where my dad was getting worse and worse. He was, he was coughing up stuff, spitting up stuff. It was just a, just a terrible thing, excruciating thing for him. And uh, so he wound up in the hospital. He had been in the hospital a number of times, a VA hospital. And uh, so I went to visit him one uh, Saturday. And uh, he was in the hospital. And so I'm sitting there in the room. And my dad and I never really had much to talk about. It was... Uh, we never had much of a relationship to begin with, and so when he got sick, you know, it's not like we can talk about the good old days or anything like that. So I'm sitting in the, in the hospital room. I didn't know what to say to him. I'm just starting to believe God at that point in time. He's saying that he's believing God, but nobody really that was close to him believed that. We could see, you know, even then we, could, we knew a little bit about the difference between the real thing and the counterfeit. So I'm sitting in there in the, in the hospital room just reading a magazine, flipping through a magazine. And my dad speaks up and he says, uh, son, I almost didn't make it last night. And I said, uh, I said, what happened, dad? He said, well, he said, I, I just started having one of these coughing fits. And he said, I, I just, he said, I, I thought it was gone. I thought it was done for. And I smiled and I said, well, thank God you made it. I don't know what I'm saying. And as soon as I said that, thank God you made it, there was something that came into that room. It was cool. It was peaceful, and it scared the bejeebers out of me. Do you notice how many times they talked about how they entered into the cloud and they were afraid? It scared me. I mean, it frightened me. Now, I knew that it was God after the fact. I didn't at the time. Because I had no experience with the things of God. I knew nothing. If, if, if I had ever known anything except the the... God speaking to me on the inside of my heart. I mean, I just had no experience in anything. And so when this presence came in the room, and it was the Spirit of God, no question about it, it was the Holy Ghost. Looking back now, I know that. Then I didn't. But when that presence came into the room, it scared me. It spooked me. And I closed that magazine, set it down, and said, Well, Dad, I said, I'm going to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Well, I didn't make it back tomorrow because my dad died in the meantime. Now, looking back at that, I know that it was God giving me a chance to say goodbye to my father. Boy, I wish I had that chance back. It would make things so much easier and so much better if I'd had the chance to say some things to him and him, him had the chance to say some things to me. But I ran. I, I can't tell you how embarrassed I am to say that. But it's the truth. I ran. One of the things that helped me about that years later, and, and, and here was something that happened supernaturally that God did with Brother Hagen. I asked him later on. I, I didn't say anything more to him at that time. We didn't talk about it anymore at that moment. But later on, I asked him, I said, how much do you know about that? About a year later, I said, you remember when you said that to me in New Jersey? He said, yeah. I said, how much do you know about that? He said, I don't know anything about that. He said, I just know that it was something that God told me to ask you. So then I told him the story. And he said, oh, Mike, he said, don't feel bad about that. He said, sometimes I get out in prayer. I heard him tell this later on in his ministry, later on in, in uh, years later. He'd say things like this, but this was the first time I ever heard him say it. He said, don't, don't feel bad about that. He said, I can't tell you how many times I've been afraid in the presence of God. 
He said, there are sometimes I get out in prayer and I get afraid I can't get back. He said, people don't want me to say that I'm afraid, but he said, that's exactly what it is. He said, I am afraid. Folks, the glory of God is a real thing. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. John chapter 11. Here's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I'll try to run through the story real quickly rather than take a lot of time with it. Jesus hears, the first part of the chapter, Jesus hears about his good friend Lazarus who is sick. And the disciples in, in expect, when, they hit, when he gets the word, they expect that he's going to leave where he is, the ministry assignment that he has going on at that point, and he's going to go over to where his, his friends are. Jesus took care of his friends. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus took care of his friends. And, and uh, Jesus says to them, he says, no, this sickness is not unto death, but that, the that God would be glorified. And his disciples misunderstood that and, and thought that means, well, Jesus knows he's going to get better, so he's not going to go back over there. So they said, well, okay, then, then he's going to be all right. And Jesus finally explains to them that Lazarus has died. Verse 14, Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Literally, the word is dead means has died. He's not dead in the sense that he's not coming back because Jesus raised him from the dead. But it is a fact that he died. So Jesus literally says Lazarus died. And when he gets over there, Mary and Martha are, are weeping. They're his sisters and they're weeping and, and that type of thing. And, and, um, and he comforts uh, one of them. I'm not even sure which one it is. But um, uh, Martha, I guess it is, he comforts Martha and he says uh, that, uh, uh, that he's here to help now and uh, Mary's, I think, the one that said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus grieves over that and, and that type of thing. He, he had true, genuine compassion for these friends of his. And then uh, the time comes where Jesus goes out to where he's buried and he commands them. I'll start reading in uh, verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, the sister of Lazarus, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. Interesting what people care about, isn't it? Now, um, I've never had an experience where the dead were raised, but it's coming. The Bible says it belongs to us as part of the authority we have. It's, it's coming. But in talking to some people that have, one of the outstanding things that I've recognized, and, and, and I don't know that they've compared notes, but, but my comparing people's stories, one of the things that I've recognized about when the dead are raised is an overwhelming sense of doubt. See, we've got the idea that when God's power is in its greatest manifestation, you know, lightning flashes from heaven and gr glorious things are done. But don't think for a minute that the devil doesn't know what God's wanting to do. The devil heard Jesus when he said, I'm going to where my, my friend Lazarus has died and I'm going to raise him up. God's going to be glorified. He knows exactly what's going on here. So in many cases, what happens is there is this spirit of doubt that settles in. 
I know we had this where, um, uh, uh, well, I won't go into the whole story, but there was a, a situation that I was involved in. I wasn't the one in charge, so it wasn't my doing. But I know that the concern that everybody had was, what is the hospital going to think if we try to raise this person up? How are people going to see this? What about the hospital's authority and, and the people that are in charge here and things like that? That seems to be a common thing. That's very similar to what Martha is saying here. She's saying, Jesus, he's, he's been dead for four days. He stinks. Now, in, in Jewish, according to Jewish understanding, the Jewish law, after three days, nothing could happen. Three days is the, is the signal. After three days, the body begins to in, endure corruption. It begins to decay. And so when she says he's been dead for four days, that really means something to her. That really means something to the Jews. So she says, we've got a problem, Jesus. He's been dead too long. It's too late for anything to happen for him. Folks, it's never too late for God when you're in faith. And Jesus said unto her, verse 40, I want you to get this. Jesus said unto her, didn't I tell you, said I not unto you? That's what that means, didn't I tell you? That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Folks, the thing that I want to leave you with this morning, and there's a lot, of more, a lot more I wanted to say this morning, a lot more I intend to say during this series, but the thing I want to leave you with this morning is the key to seeing the glory of God is believing for it. And the reason that I spent so much time reading some of these scriptures, and we may read them through again next time we get together, I don't know. But the reason I spent so much time reading through these scriptures is because if you don't know what the Bible says about the glory of God, you don't know what to believe for. Now, here's the question. Would God do more under the old covenant than he would do now under the new? Would God do more for servants, which is what the Old Testament people were, than he'll do for his sons? Do you do more for the people that work for you or more for the people that are your family? That's the same way God operates. The Bible says we know how to be good parents to our children because of God's example. So you need to understand that there are things that the Bible has promised us about the glory of God that the further and further and further we get to the end, meaning the closer and closer we get to the rapture, the more and more of the glory of God we can expect. Any of you keep up with the news this morning? Egypt's new president is the Muslim Brotherhood guy. His acceptance speech is, our capital is not going to be Cairo, it's not going to be Mecca, it's not going to be Medina, but Allah willing will be Jerusalem. And then he starts talking about all you Muslim martyrs, you're all sons of Hamas. They, the whole group out there, however many thousands of people there were, started chanting. Don't think things aren't rolling headlong toward the rapture. They are. More and more, things are lining up to the war that starts day number one of the tribulation. Now, where is the church at that? The church is in heaven at the point in time of the tribulation starts. How long have they been there? I don't know. Are they there for a day, a week, a month, a year, two years, five years? I don't know. It could be any of those things because the Bible doesn't tell you. But you know if things are progressing toward that war against Israel, we've got to be closer and closer to the end. For me, that doesn't mean hide your head in the sand and protect all your stuff. That means look up because the glory of God is going to manifest more and more and more. Folks, if you were God, would you want to have your biggest splash be in the beginning or at the end? God says his desire is to be at the end. I'd like to, I'd like to keep going and tell you more stories.
I like to tell you stories in services where there's been a sound of a, mush, a, a, a mushing righty wind. You know what a mushing righty wind is, don't you? Where people have heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind, just like Acts chapter 2 verse 4 talks about. And everybody in the building is, sees the flash of God's glory and people are saved. People are filled with the Holy Ghost and people are healed instantly right where they're sitting. I mean everybody in the room. But I don't want to live off somebody else's stories. See, I want to use those stories as an inspiration to us, as something that's a guide for us for what God can and wants to do. But I don't want to live off somebody else's stories. I want us to have our own stories. Because God says our stories are going to be better than their stories. Folks, these are the greatest days you could possibly live. You may be looking around saying, well, my parents didn't have trouble like this. Yeah, and your parents won't see the glory you'll see either. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I wish it was back like it was in the 80s when the economy turned around and, boy, things really started going. Listen, for those that are doers of the word, the economy will be better for you than the 80s or the 90s or the any other times. The Bible says that God has given us these things in a mystery. Well, what is that mystery? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what does that mean? For me, that means two things. That means the hope of eternal glory when we end this life on the earth and we're caught up into glory. We read one of those scriptures. He'll guide me in this life and after that we enter into glory. So I don't have any doubt that that's part of what that means. But folks, God's not just interested in you when you get to heaven. He's interested in the whole earth being filled with His glory. Numbers 14.21 means so much to me. As truly as I live, whenever God says, whenever God swears by Himself, that means something. He said, as truly as I live. Literally that phrase, as truly as I live, He only uses about three or four times in the Bible. But that phrase literally means, it is an unchanging law that I'm declaring. It cannot change, it'll last forever. And he says, as truly as I live, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's your day and mine. That's not some good old days that we get to look back to. That's the days we get to live. Amen. The Bible says that the glory of the last day church will be greater than of the former. That means the glory of the last day church will be greater than what we see demonstrated in the early days of the church in the book of Acts. God's got a great plan for you and me in these last days. Come join us at Foothill Family Church and let's grow into who God wants us to be. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. My mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV, you have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. 
we have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.